Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. He's the original UFC wild child. When he stepped into the cage, we knew we were getting a fight. Old school, most certainly. There's been some bumps along the way, but the future looks better than it ever has. We are one-on-one with the crippler, Chris Lieben. It's been a wild, wild ride at times, Chris. Publicly, we see this fighting machine, sometimes crazy, intense, and always 100%. Privately, I see pictures of you with family, training kids and showing amazing compassion and love. Who's the real Chris Lieben? Who's the real crippler? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. You're looking at recent pictures, you know, the last, you know, four or five years. That's me, you know. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about family. You know, my, my favorite thing is, is coaching and training, you know, adults, kids, and helping them, you know, develop and get in shape and get confidence and all that stuff. Um, you know, and then uh, now that I've been back to, you know, fighting, uh, you know, it, it's a, uh, it is a shift because I got to bring back kind of that old Chris Lieben that just didn't, didn't care. that didn't give a shit about anything and went out and went for broke. Um, you know, with, uh, I got a big head and big hands with my attributes. That's just the best way to fight, you know, is to move forward and take two to give one. Um, so, you know, I, I'd say they're both real, but you know, they, the, the fighting, the one you, the one you see on Saturday night, you know, he gets put away most of the time. Now, nowadays he gets, he goes back in his kennel. Your first shot to global prominence, Ultimate Fighter Series 1, that was, and I challenge anyone to dispute this, the birth of mainstream mixed martial arts. The series, the final between Stefan and Forrest, it was amazing. It was amazing theatre, amazing fights. When we rewind 16 years, what are your standout memories? Oh, man. I mean, a lot of it, you know, it's just like you said, I mean, we really didn't, even, we didn't even know if the show was going to air or not, you know? And so, and at the time, you know, they kind of selected, you know, besides Jason Thacker, pretty much everybody else was already knocking at the UFC door, you know? So, you know, we, we already knew each other or at least knew of each other, you know, and the, and that being said, um, it made for, it made for good fights, you know? And then, uh, you know, they've got this recipe on reality TV where they take away your, your uh, you know, TV and books and phones and they fill the house with alcohol, you know. So you take a bunch of highly trained 20-year-old kids, give them nothing to do but train and drink liquor, you're going to make for good TV, man. That's, that's just a, re- that's a, that's a successful recipe for a show. 
you know, and, and that's what happened. And I, and I think you're right. I think uh, what it allowed to, to happen that, that, you know, people really didn't foresee was it allowed your, your average fan that was kind of on the cusp interested, but not too interested to actually get to know these fighters Yeah. to actually, you know, it felt like they, like they felt like they knew us because of the show. They knew our personality and who we were, which is just so much different when you're watching somebody, you know, fight versus when you're watching just some random guy, you know? Um, and, and I think that that was the real magical part was really people started to know fighters and understand their personalities and follow them through their careers. You know, once that show hit, hit the mainstream overnight, you guys became celebrities. How did you deal with that? Being in the public spotlight isn't always easy. And it happened for you guys literally overnight. Yeah. You know, I remember telling Dana when we were filming this show, Hey, maybe I'll get a free beer out of this next time I go to the bar. You know, I had no idea that uh, the bar, much less the shopping mall or the grocery store, I wasn't going to be able to get in and out of any of those places without getting stopped. You know, um, so it was it was overwhelming, you know, to say the least. You know, it, it, it was a little overwhelming for a kid from the ghetto that was just hoping to get in the UFC, which not a ton of people were watching to all of a sudden, you know. I can't go to the grocery store without getting stopped two or three times. You know, it was uh, it's crazy. Speaking of UFC, when you started in the UFC, you started at 5-0. and You would then fight Anderson Silva. Is he the best or most complete you fought? Is Anderson Silva the best? Yeah. Man, I think so. Yeah. You know, I, I think for sure anybody – it doesn't matter who they are, any any intelligent MMA fan, if they made a list of the five best fighters, Anderson Silva would be on every single person's list. You know, I'm sure there's some people that can split hairs about John Jones versus, you know, whatever, but he's definitely one of the best, the absolute very best to ever have done it. You fight with Yoshihiro Akiyama, probably my second favorite Chris Lieben fight. My favorite, the one you wanted, the one the world wanted to watch, Vandalay Silva. Two madmen, two great talkers, two intense guys, and it lasted under 30 seconds. How proud are you of that performance? Pretty proud. I mean, it was definitely a you know, highlight in my career because you know, that's a fight that I asked for. Yeah. I asked for it multiple times, and I can remember Dan telling me, kid, you're not getting that fucking fight. You're not fighting, you know. But what happened was I took the Akiyama. Akiyama was supposed to fight Vandalay. Vandalay got hurt or something, and so I had to step in on two weeks' notice. I had just fought, so I stepped in for Vandalay, fought Akiyama, beat him, and then I was like, Hey, check it out. I beat the guy you were going to let fight him. So now you got to let me fight him, you know? Then uh, it wasn't too many days later that I got a call. It was like, he's like, hey, kid, be careful what you wish for. You know, I remember right where I was, right where I was driving when I got that call. And uh, I hung up the phone. And the first thing that popped in my head was, what the was I thinking? You know, like, dude, why did I ask for this fight repeatedly? Ultimately. Uh, you know, fear can be very, mo- very motivating. And anybody that's watched Vandalay's, you know, pride fights or something knows that he is an extremely scary guy. Like there's some guys that, uh, you know, might be more likely to beat you, you know, 
but they're still not they're not nearly as scary. Vandalin, you might be you might maybe beat him, you might maybe lose, but if you lose, you also might die. You know, so you know, he's got that that thing going from so I probably trained harder for that fight than any fight in my entire life, you know? And uh it's funny, you know, the 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 harder you train, the easier the fight is. We as fans, we were confident when you fought that we were gonna get our money's worth. We knew it would be a fight. I think that's a really cool way to be remembered for any athlete, remembered as a dude that came for business each and every time. Thanks, man. You know, I, I do too, you know, and, and that's uh, that's something that's always been important to me. Um, it's a big reason I picked the opponent that I did for my last fight. Mm. You know, I, you know, more than anything, I want to give the fans what they paid for. I want to go out there and put on a good show, you know. You know, I, I knew a long time ago that I probably wasn't the best in the world and going to beat every guy. I feel like the way that I fight, I could beat, you know, any given Saturday, I might be able to catch you, you know, but the way I fight, you know, when you live by the sword, you die by the sword too, you know? So, you know, I, 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 I always wanted to kind of remain true to that. The Chris Levin stories has its highs and lows. There's been issues away from the cage, personal issues that you actually addressed recently. And I'll say congratulations first up two years sober away from alcohol, away from drugs, huge progression in your personal life, mate. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I'm coming up, uh, June will be at three now. So, so still, still grinding away at it. How bad did the issues get away from fighting because of the fighting? You, you're under the spotlight. You're under so much professional pressure that something at some stage has to snap. You know, I, I think that, you know, I was an addict far before, uh, I was fighting, you know, I, I always, I come from a family of of drug and alcohol addiction. Um, I had a pretty rough upbringing, you know, uh, which, which fueled that. And for me, drugs and alcohol were always an escape an escape from reality to the point where when I did start fighting, the only, the only stress management tool I had was drugs and alcohol, you know, and, and the the reason people do them is because, Hey, look, man, at least for me, they worked. They didn't stop working. You know, I'm stressed out about it could be a fight. It could be bills. It could be my old lady. I get drink a, a couple beers, man. Those problems go away at least for a little while, you know, or <clears throat> the other side of that, maybe I just want to fight. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I got a bunch of money in the bank now, you know, and I'm celebrating and everybody's patting me on the back. Well, you know, the only way to make that better is to go out and party and celebrate. You know, so so I definitely, uh, you know, the, the, they all they, they kind of say that the, the cause and the answer of all to all life's problems. Great story. Do you recall the moment you sat there and thought to yourself, OK, I'm going nowhere fast. It is time to change. And right now I do. I, I remember the moment that I realized I had some sort of an issue, you know, because I grew up in a family where the only rule was you couldn't drink beer till noon. You know, that was it. You know, you had to, you know, my mom had this rule. We can't start, can't start drinking until noon. And then, you know, but, and beer is not really drinking lick, you know, you got to get whiskey. If you're really drinking beer's just always there always. Um, so, you know, I, and, and, and I didn't, realize that the way that I got drunk and the way that I acted was out of hand. It wasn't until 
I was sitting at my friend's house. We're all huddled together watching that first season of The Ultimate Fighter. You know, the episode where, you know, Kosh, Tech, and Bobby pour the hose on me and I punch through the window, you know, and I can see the way I'm acting and what the alcohol is doing to me. Um, and I'm sober watching it that I realized, like, fuck, you know, I got to I gotta do something about this. And, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, it's kind of a good thing that I had a camera there to follow me around because mm. it was very much different than the story I had told myself in my head. You know, we wake up in a haze the next day and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll believe almost anything we want just so we don't have to feel like we were an asshole or, or, or embarrassed, you know, the night before. Um, you know, so that was that started the first attempt of many to uh, cut back or moderate my alcohol intake. I asked you earlier how proud you were of some of your in-ring or in-cage accomplishments. How proud are you of yourself for overcoming these obstacles? You know, uh, one of the, uh, probably the hardest obstacle I've ever had to overcome in my life, you know. And for me, the, the most rewarding part about that is that, you know, now I'm very active in the community um, I speak and I share my story. Um, you know, I, I have, I have a group of guys that, uh, are my support group. And then I've got another group of guys that, that, uh, that I talk to every day about their issues. People reach out to me and they go, you know, God, you, I can see how good you're doing. And I remember how bad you were, you know, and it's funny because a lot of people know how bad I was. And so they'll call me when they don't want to admit it to anybody else, you know, and, Kind of the, uh, I guess the shining light for me is that knowing that through all that pain and all that suffering, you know, it has put me in a position where, you know, hopefully, you know, I can use that to do some good for, for others, you know, and help them with their struggles and issues and relate to them and talk to them about that stuff. So, um, you know, that's that's really, uh, that's what that's what gives me more pride than anything. In and around all of this, you find out that your heart is irregular and it, you're actually at huge risk. I bet that hits you harder than any opponent ever has. Wow. You know, um, it was interesting, you know, because, you know, they, they told me I needed a new heart and that I probably wasn't going to make it you know, to, uh, onto a transplant list and to get one in time. And, uh, I really didn't have any, uh, any, any issues accepting that, you know? Um, and honestly, that isn't even what got me sober either. You know, they told me if I drank, if I continued to drink, I was going to die and I continued to drink. Um, you know, it just, uh, ultimately, you know, I, uh, was court ordered to go to some treatment and, and, and whatnot. And somebody in there said something that related to me, you know, and I, I started to get to, to get to know some of these guys, you know, and I started uh, realizing that, hell, this, you know, this isn't too bad. And the longer I'm sober, the better my life is getting, you know, I started to see some of these promises or whatever coming, coming to uh, fruition. And, uh, you know, slowly but surely, I, I began to care about myself again, you know, and with that, I realized that I should probably start taking care of myself. So, you know, I changed where I lived. I changed the way I eat. I quit putting anything in my body that wasn't good for it, you know, and it's crazy. The body is really uh, 
pretty, pretty smart, pretty intuitive, you know, and if you, if you just get out of the way, just stop giving it the wrong things and get out of the way, it will heal itself. And that's definitely true when it comes to heart disease, you know, heart disease for the most part is a man-made problem. It's a, it's an issue of Western society, you know, um, it, with just some lifestyle changes, I was able to correct a lot of it, you know, and the long story short was every time I went back for my checkup, it got better and better and better till one day, uh, you know, I was back to uh, the low end of normal. And that's about when the BKFC called me. Speaking of BKFC, you went from the UFC's original wild child to the bare knuckle fight championship, tailor made for a stand up guy like you and a tough guy like you. It is, you know, they called me and I was like, and, and right and about then, you know, I, my head was clear. I was sober. I was getting healthier and I, I was kicking the crap out of all the 20 year olds in the gym. And I was thinking, you know what? I should just, I should come back because my UFC career certainly didn't finish the way that I wanted it to yeah. with all the other stuff going on outside of the cage. You know, I should come back and end my martial arts career on a better note, you know? And uh, they called me and I was like, oh, I think I want to do MMA. This was maybe like BKFC two, you know, and I really just heard about it, you know, a bunch from everybody that was super hyped on it immediately. And then as soon as I hung up the phone, I got on YouTube and I started uh, looking at it and I was like, holy, this sport is made for me. Dude. It's a ring, small ring with nowhere to run, you know, toe to toe. You can just slug it out. You can't just hold me down like a wet blanket. You know, um, and I think I called him back. Uh, it was either, the, I, I think that evening, that evening I called him back. Like, hey, you know what? I changed my mind. Let's do it. Your thoughts on BKFC. Is there a future or is it too brutal to be mainstream? Um, I I think it's going to be mainstream and then more. I think it's going to be huge. I mean, here's the bottom line. Everybody understands the fist fight, hmm. you know? You know what, you know, sometimes you watch, you know, UFC, it's super high level grappling and to the average person, they don't understand all the, all the, all the technique and all the small details, you know, and you see two champions go against each other and they, they null each other out. It's like five rounds of touching and touching back, you know, um, that's not what a BKFC fight looks like, you know, that bell rings and there's excitement. And if you've ever been to a show, the energy it almost reminds me of back when i very first started and we'd go to these amateur fights and it was like shit is this really legal are the cops gonna come busted through the door at any time the crowd's going crazy there's fights in the crowd you know blood flying everywhere um absolutely i i don't think it's too brutal uh i think it's entertaining you know um I, I think our society today, I think if it would have came out five or eight years ago, the media would have had a heyday with it. Yeah. But I think now knowing more about combat sports and people understanding that la lacerations and concussions are two different things, you know, um, I, I think it's I think it's here to stay and it's just going to continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Said bare knuckle fights was tailor made for you. So too pro wrestling. Why not, Chris? Was there ever an approach for the crippler to head into a professional wrestling ring? There was. There was actually a few of them. Um, 
you know, and after my UFC career, I said, you know what, I'll try this local pro wrestling show. And I was supposed to go in, I do a little interview and then the bad guy would, uh, you know, he came in and we're supposed to push each other. Then there's, there's a big brawl starts in the ring, right? Well, well, this all goes down. I do a good job with this. And then afterward, I'm sitting ringside, like I'm just there to watch the show. And the bad guy keeps coming by me and talking shit, you know, making a scene for the crowd. They're all watching. I'm supposed to talk shit back to him. The problem is he's a faster talker than me, you know? And I mean, I probably got faster hands than him. So my natural reaction is like, well, fuck you, buddy. Let's butt. And even, even though I knew it was fake and it was a show, I was still pissed off. I still wanted to kick his ass. And, you know, I realized I went back after the fight, after the show. And I told my old lady, I, said, I, can't, I can't do this. I just, you know what I mean? Like, there's just, I don't, I can't control my, to play that role. It really is a talent that these guys have to, to be out there and stay in character and not break. Um, that That's not me. The, 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 the person that you see is actually who I am, you know? whether that was the wild, crazy Chris even in his 20s or, or the guy training the kids nowadays, you know. I am I am who I am, and I, I don't I, – I'm not a great actor. <laughs> What's the future, Chris? Do you want to keep spending time and focus on your family and uh, training at the arena gym right there in San Diego with your students and continuing your refereeing journey, right? Tons of stuff. You know, I'm right now I'm sitting in my – this is my little garage connected to my, my house, and uh, – you know, so I train I train guys over here right now looking to open up my own place, um, refereeing, judging. Hopefully California will open up soon enough so I can get back to that. And then also, you know, I, I'm doing some stuff for the BKFC now. You know, I'm managing some fighters. Um, I'm running some tryouts for them, you know. So super active still in the martial arts community, you know, and uh, – you know, I, could, I, I plan on continuing that. And then also, you know, um, like I said before, another big part of my life is, uh, you know, sharing my story and helping people that, that deal with addiction, you know, like I did, you know, where I can. So potentially maybe some more stuff in that field down the road as well. It's been a wild ride from our side of the cage. It has been a great ride too. We've enjoyed every minute of it. I wish you every success in the future, Chris Lieben. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. We've just been one-on-one with the Crippler and survived. Catch you next week on One-on-One.